and welcome to another episode. It's great to be back. I'm Laura Sigma, and with me this week are Chris Sigma. Hello. Chris Alpha. You are all idiots. And our elder statesman, Andy Can Don't Candish. Shut up and let me sleep. This week, it's our long-awaited review of the 50th anniversary episode, The Day of the Doctor. So what did everyone think? I'll start. I thought it was rubbish. I'd rather slam my face in an oven door repeatedly than ever have to watch such half-baked vomit cheese ever again. I liked it when it was over. When it was on, I wanted to ring up everyone involved in its production individually and insult their mothers in really specific and horrible ways. If this episode was some kind of animal, then it would be a skunk that got hit by a car and then got left out in the sun until it swelled to a grotesque proportion, inflated from within by its own noxious bile. If I had a TARDIS right now, I'd go back in time to the 60s and slap Delia Derbyshire in the face for ever putting Doctor Who on in the air in the first place. Well, thanks for guest starring with us this week, Eric. If you just come around this corner, I'll show you the new studio. Oh. Who are they? Them. We don't like to talk about them. You see, before the Oodcast, there was another version of the podcast. The Oodcast is a name we give ourselves. It's a promise to always remain positive, to remember our love of Doctor Who, whatever happens, and to try and communicate that joy to others. Hey, isn't this a bit like... But there was one version of the show, one version of us, really, that refused the name. Who didn't deserve it. They used their power to belittle and ridicule. Eventually, when it was over, we stopped talking about that season, covered up the RSS feed and broke all the links on the website. Much like a current website. Shut up! We stopped talking about them, but now, somehow, they're back. We are the Rudecast. We did what we had to do, what we thought was right. The fans loved to tear the show apart. We just gave them what they wanted, what they needed. iTunes is in flux. We shouldn't both exist here at the same time. I knew I shouldn't have updated to OSX Mavericks. Apple said there would be bugs. What are you going to do now? We're going to press this big red button and destroy the entire internet. It's the only way. It's why we had a big red destroy the internet button installed in case literally this exact thing happened. But what about all those animated GIFs of kittens? And Benedict Cumberbatch? They'll be destroyed too. Do you even know how many of them there are? 2.47 billion. Don't you think we know that? We don't have a choice. There's always a choice. Do a, do a song or something. There has to be another way. You're the Oodcast. A song? Okay, let's do this. Switch the TV 
Nothing compares. 
portrait what do you want us to do commander enslave some humans set up a defense perimeter change our shape and then become double agents embedded deep within unit ah gary and steve actually i've got a very special job for you something essential to the zygon cause thanks commander we live to serve we can't wait great now you see those statues over there the ones under the sheets i need you to grind them up into a very fine powder okay uh, then what, boss? Then I need you to stand very still under the sheets for several days. Wouldn't it be easier just to change shape and hide that way? No, I command you to do the statue grinding thing. Is this because of what Steve said about that chutney you made? It was an amazing chutney! If you badman my cooking, be prepared to reap the chutney whirlwind! I'm just not sure it's strategically a great move. You should have thought of that before you said it tasted of bums! Now get grinding, Jamie Oliver. I have a world to conquer. Nice one, Steve. Thanks for that. This is going to take forever. Well, I guess we better get started. How does he even know who Jamie Oliver is, anyway? We've been trapped in a painting for four centuries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Oodcast. Yes, it's what everyone's been waiting for, us to do anything, just something, to say something. And that's what we're doing right now. Welcome back. Or or maybe it's us that are back. Potato! Good. I said something. There we oh, go. Um, that's... <laughs> we're on a roll. We're starting. This is fine. How would you say potato eric i would say potato eric (laughs) (laughs) oh nice try andy (laughs) we really ruined the eric surprise there oh no no because he was already already in it yeah he's already been in it oh eric surprise it sounds like something you could get sued for (laughs) i was thinking a french dessert perhaps french dessert eric 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 Ah, le surprise eric well, I mean, what I was going to do, <laughs> listeners, was I was going to just go around the table, get everyone to introduce themselves, <laughs> say what they've been doing in the time that we've been apart. But uh, we've sort of jumped that a little bit, but I think we'll still do it anyway. Um, so to my left is the lovely, the redoubtable Andrew Candish. Hello. How have you been, Andrew, since well, we last met? Very well. I can't really remember when we last met, but I've been all right, thanks. Little oh. red riding Candish. Sorry. I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a red, <laughs> wearing a red hoodie today. It's so fetch. Yeah. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Laura. <laughs> Would you like to say anything that's happened to you? Since we um, I'm maintaining the fiction that we don't see each other unless we're on air. <laughs> uh well, I've I've been sleeping at nights and working during the day. The best times to do both of those. Yeah. 
if you uh, work during the day. Have I've you moved house? I've moved house. Oh, that's nice. I've moved to a place next to a, a, next to one of the the busiest railway lines out of London. So my bed shakes constantly because of the trains. It's like I'm getting a vibro massage all the way through the night. Wow, that sounds awesome. That's why it's called Wimblebum. <laughs> yes, Wimblebum. Oh, oh, and here's the thing, because uh, I now live in Wimbledon, and obviously the Wombles are from Wimbledon. Yeah. There's a place, there's a road right next to where I live called Orinoco Lane. Awesome. And I wonder if there are, if all the Wombles are named after roads in Wimbledon. I, I don't want to argue with you, but the Wim- Wombles aren't from Wimbledon. They moved to Wimbledon from Hyde Park. <gasps> Let's move on, though. No, I you massive that. pedant. I'm not. I read the books sometimes. Well, I've read them. Sure. <laughs> oh, the Wombles of Hyde Park Park. That's why they we? moved. The song didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> is, it, is it that they're common or are they of Wimbledon Common? Because Wimbled, of Wimbledon Comma, Common, are we? No. Or is it Wimbledon the No of Common? Wimbledon Comma. Ah. Common. Common. <laughs> comma, common. Well, one of them wears a flat cap, and I think that that could be either, really. Well, now we've blown everyone's mind. Uh, Eric is <laughs> sitting next to Andrew, and by his face, I think he's thinking. Ooh, the Oodcast is heavily edited. (laughs) (laughs) I've recorded with you all before. Hi. And uh, it wasn't quite like this. Although it it could have been circumstances. Hi. Hi, Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, We are so happy to have Eric. Eric is, I'm sure, well known to most of our listeners. He is a podcaster of uh, several... Some repute. (laughs) Dispute. Why was I going to say dispute? (laughs) He's a podcaster of some dispute. Uh, um, most notably, the Doctor Who Writers Room, Doctor Who the Writers Room, yep, and the, the book Doctor club. Who Book Club, and the Doctor Who Book Club. Mm. Yeah. yeah, how are they going? Good. Uh, they actually put out an episode every month. Wow, so, you know, yeah, yeah, they just saying, rouncing us. Look, we, we sprint and then we have a really nice long rest. Mm. <laughs> Whereas we're more marathon runners, I suppose. Yeah, nice lie down and a cup of tea. They are both brilliant podcasts, and I think people should head on over there. In fact, stop listening to this episode now. Yeah, just, just, stop. just switch it off. Go and listen to Eric's podcast. We um, just experienced an exciting um, physical event. <laughs> <laughs> are we still talking about the Wimblebum? No. <laughs> See what happens when I leave the room. We're talking about the huge thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. Made us all go for me. Way. It was massive, wasn't it? it was I, I did think a bomb had gone off. Yes, very exciting. Bomb humour. Uh, sitting next to <laughs> Eric is my lovely wife. And um, I was, I was going to say Udkar's mascot. Anyway, I once was in France and I saw a picture on a shop sign which sold roast chicken and it was called Le Coque Rotique. And it showed a male chicken <laughs> doing interesting things to a lady chicken. And both of them seemed to like it. Le coq érotique. Excellent. And have you done anything fun since last we recorded? I had a baby. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> yes, we did a big old show. We did some in Manchester and we did some in London. And we may yet go around the country to various different areas doing shows, live versions of all of the episodes of New Who. Yes, we filled a 300-seat theatre, didn't we? We also appeared on BBC Radio 1, or BBC Radio 1, um, in a little documentary about the music uh, surrounding Doctor Who. Yeah, they played Laura's Trock song. 
And Mr. Christopher Alpha completes the set. Uh, hello. Um, well, I've I've done two things, I suppose, that are of note. One is that I listened to all of the episodes of Doctor Who, The Writer's Room, <laughs> and that I hadn't listened to. There were about five, because I'm very slow at listening to things, and they are all very good. And the other thing I did was that I got married. Oh. So, yeah, it was lovely, a lovely service. It was a Quaker service. Here is an extract from it. Haha, <laughs> Quaker humour. <laughs> it was only half Quaker. Yes. Which is which is why there was talking afterwards. Like the doctor in the T V movie. He was only half Quaker, wasn't he? <laughs> I think. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Who really right. pays attention to all of those details? Yeah. Well, we have a brand new episode of Doctor Who to talk about. Although it may be fading in some of our memories, it was the Day of the Doctor, the anniversary special, um, which uh, a lot of us saw in 3D. Who saw it in 3D? Me. Yes, Andy's put his hand up. <laughs> I did. I saw it in 3D twice. Ah, and Eric saw it in 3D twice. Wow. I only saw it one in 3D. I saw it on a TV in 2D. I've seen it both ways, and I have to say, it does not make any difference. <laughs> it does, it does. The paintings look really cool in 3D. Yes, the paintings do look pretty cool. Not a great deal more cool than they do in 3D when you're on watching on the TV. I don't know. I quite well, like all them. you need to do when you're watching on a TV is use your imagination, and they look pretty good in 3D. The only thing I thought was wrong with it in 3D and 2D versions was the fact that I'm just out of shot in the Trafalgar Square scenes. Oh, that is bad. It's really? Annoying. Is that true? That is true. Oh, I was yeah. walking through Trafalgar Square. Moffat got my email about that then. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I did. I was walking through Trafalgar Square at nine o'clock one morning and there was the TARDIS. And um, so I stayed and watched them film it. And Matt Smith was hanging from um, the police box. Why are the two holes in the bottom of the TARDIS so he can hold on to them? I, I think that's what we call... The magic of television. <laughs> yes. Are you trying to tell me that you saw Matt Smith's dangly bits? No, that's coming up in Night of the Doctor, isn't it? I mean, not Night of ah. Yes, that... it's terrible. Oh, Doctor Who is going to explode, this smut. Doctor Who naked? That's never happened. John Pertwee was never in a shower <laughs> in the 70s. What's happening to the state of the nation? William Hartnell was never shirtless in the Romans. Oh, really? <laughs> he really was. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. Oh. No. Yeah, no. It's not an image I wanted to conjure up right now. But thank you. Does he look a bit tired, like a broken deck chair? <laughs> he, he looks more like a slightly, slightly melted mush, uh, marshmallow, maybe. Oh, I thought you were going to say mushroom. A bit oozy. Fungal. You all right, Derek? You look like you've seen a ghost. Oh, Clive, I've been shouted at again. Again? Don't those pin-headed weasels know when to stop? They're nothing but a working-class stoat. Wasn't a weasel. Kept bellowing about how he was from some planet or other. I think he was human. A human? Yeah, one wearing really unsuitable shoes for walking in the woodland. Oh, you must have thought we'd been rumbled. He said, you can't fool me, and I produced enough pellets to keep an air rifle in ammunition for months. I can imagine. Turned out he'd mistaken me for someone else. Another rabbit? No, some sort of shape-shifting alien. Seemed to think I'd taken the form of a rabbit. Oh, that's lovely, that is. A flaming space monster. Well, must be hard to know what those things look like if they can shift their shapes. I suppose. Humans can't have caught wind of our plans, can they? 
What, that we're stockpiling weapons for an armed insurrection with the aim of toppling the tyrannical human establishment? Yeah, that sort of thing. No, no, we're okay there. It's easy enough to hide the stockpile when it's basically just one quite pointy stick. Turns out wooden things are quite easy to hide around trees. Right, well, that's good. Our time will come. Up the revolution, brother. And on that note... Would anyone like to kick off with any uh, musings about the day of the Doctor? Four. That's my main musing. Just In- four. Four. Is this because is this because David Tennant was back, or you could say that you could say that? Although his Re- hair was pretty bobbins in this compared with previous iterations of his hair, and I know why. I spoke with David Tennant's hairdresser from all of his series. And he'd sent very precise instructions to the girl who was doing David Tennant's hair about the kinds of products and the sort of feathering that was required. And yet she (laughs) failed to manifest his delightful barnet in the form to which we had become accustomed. Still, it mattered not, for his performance was excellent. I agree, but I also think that John Hurt's hair was more Tenth Doctor than the Tenth Doctor's hair. You're right. You're right. We're talking about hair. We are. Yes. They all had the same hair. As they had had previously, just in a slightly different style. I don't think it really... It didn't bother me. That's not the same hair, Chris. You see, we've got to appeal to our female listening demographic. I think it's very... uh, I don't think it's appropriate to assume that females would be more interested in the hair than males. I am offended. Yep. Eric's offended. (laughs) Eric loves hair. Yeah, we better be careful. He'll shut us down if we go too far. Just the musical, you know, not like the actual follicles. Just you wait. No, I... What I think, I'm actually going to talk about the episode because, you know, whatever. Um, it's not how we do things. What I found was very impressive was that he did an, an anniversary special that both celebrated the past, kind of redefined what we understood the past to be and set the groundwork for the future in 75 minutes and made it accessible enough that my boyfriend, who had never seen an episode before, could go to the cinema, cinema with me and watch the live telecast and enjoy himself. That's, That's an good. amazing achievement. That is brilliant. I know I what you're all thinking, boyfriend. No, no. What <laughs> What eloquence. What eloquence, eh? That's the sort of thing we should all aspire to. That's why we invited him. And ah. I don't have notes, unlike some people. So, hey, <laughs> note boys, why don't you start talking? Me neither. All this genius is just right popping right off the top of my dome. Like the doctor's head. And your lovely, lovely Do you know my favourite thing from it? The war doctor quoting Terence Dix. Billy Piper asks him, what is your um, raison d'etre as the doctor? What, what makes the doctor? And he, he quotes directly from Terence Dix. Never cruel or cowardly. Punch the air, I did. Did you? Yeah. That was my face. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. You didn't. Punch I was sat next to Laura in the cinema, and it was a joyous experience, wasn't mm, it? The we cinema made noises was, like yeah. excitable guinea pigs. <laughs> we did. I did punch the air when Tom Baker came on as well. I thought that bit was like a massive turd. <laughs> did you? Wow! It's like somebody had made a made a delightful wedding cake, iced it beautifully, all sorts of lovely flavours inside, and then laid a huge steaming turd <laughs> on the end of it. Wow. 
this bit is not going in. But then just, some, I'm glad that you've said it. Then possibly some caster sugar on top of the toast, <laughs> just to disguise it a bit with nostalgia and whimsy. It made my night. He's got just eyeballs same like reasons. poached eggs. I, I think we should, for the record, state that that had no bearing on anything else did it that was that scene it was just put in to make fans go yeah crazy. i entirely disagree yeah actually. i do really? I, I've, and i'm a, i'm a new series fan i want it noted for the record i've gone back and watched the classic mm-hmm. series because because but i thought it emphasized that this show is anything is possible it was a final sort of like almost like a screw you okay. to the fans who said well you can't do that it's continuity it's like no it's doctor who if i say yeah. that this is some old version of the fourth doctor who's revisiting his past Fine, if it's a parallel universe. Like, the Doctor was Merlin. Why can't he be the curator, too? He's the Doctor. He can be the curator. He can be the wizard. He can be anything. This show is limitless. And mm-hmm. so to bring on this thing that's never explicitly stated what it is and just have it be about hope and possibility mm-hmm. and a new chance. Well, isn't it that Tom Baker comes in and he is uh, he's looking to the future? He's it, What Moffat's done is he's looked to the past in order to give the Doctor his next challenge. I mean, this could be what the Doctor's going to be doing for the next season, two seasons, three seasons, this arc of him looking for Gallifrey. I mean, he's that that's, that scene is, sets all of that up, doesn't it? And as a child of the 70s who grew up with the Tom Baker fourth Doctor incarnation, that was a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. Over and above it, it was put in there for the... The children of the fourth doctor. Well that's why that's why they asked Tom Baker as opposed to as opposed to Peter Davison or, or someone else to come in and do it, obviously. But I mean to have the person who is the doctor for many Americans especially, but also for many people in the UK, come and kind of say, This is your future from someone in the past to say this is the path forward. It was just beautiful and poetic and lovely. That was my point. No, it was like your dad telling you to go and clean your room and you sort of you love him, but you don't really want him to tell you to do that and you know, who knows in that way that he was used to that made me go oh i'm an eight-year-old again i did have that moment where he spoke off camera and my brain went that's not him it can't be him and then he walked in and i did have a thrill i mean it's not he's not my doctor but still that it was pretty awesome to see him in it i couldn't wait for him to punt off somewhere It was the one thing in the episode that I didn't think that, uh, that I thought was a bum note in a symphony of brilliance. You are allowed to think that, Laura. It was put in there for people of Andy's generation for, as Eric said, all of these Americans who for many years, um, when it was shown on PBS, it was Tom Baker repeats. For so many people, he is the Doctor and it was there for them. I am a story and narrative person and I think it was thematically very fitting because it was, it was uh, a story was about re-examining your past, finding the thing you did wrong and fixing it because it's never too late to go and fix the thing you did wrong. Mm. And who better to do that than sort of, you've had the future incarnations essentially appear from the war doctor's point of view. Why not go back to the past one last time? There's there's something very appropriate about having a doctor pointing the doctor in the right direction. I think that's particularly appropriate in that scene, in, in, in that episode. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't touch my wires. Did you not like it? Nah. <laughs> okay. You are hiding it remarkably well. <laughs> I am, um, yeah, I someone online, uh, because apparently Colin Baker was quite annoyed that uh, Tom Baker was in it and he wasn't. Someone online described it as George Lazenby being annoyed that they <laughs> decided to pick Sean Connery to be in a Bond retrospective. <laughs> I want to say what a genius the Moff is for writing 
a story that is based on one single line in the end of time. When he go, it goes, where is the doctor? Rassilon goes, where is the doctor? And uh, someone goes, he still possesses the moment. And from that comes the whole of the day of the doctor. And we're to assume that the end of time is happening sort of in another room yeah. concurrently with this episode. Which is which is explicitly stated. It's, uh, I forget, one of the little Gallifreyans comes in and says, you know, the high oh, council. Well, the high council. Mm. It's like the high council's plans have failed because they're still in this dimension. <laughs> and so they know that they have to do something. And I love yeah. the idea that they're off fighting the 10th Doctor and the Master while simultaneously all this stuff is being done around them with the 10th Doctor and everyone else. Like, that's brilliant, know. isn't it? <laughs> so well knitted together. Like a zipper. And uh, as we were talking about narrative, I quite like that the Zygon plot, which is ultimately a subplot, actually, uh, is a parallel to the Doctor's story. So it has duplicates in it. They It sort of talks about sort of facing yourself. And then at the end, there's this big decision, which is, do you kill a lot of people to save an incredible amount of people? I mean, it's on a planetary scale rather than a universal scale, but it's the same dilemma. And so this subplot sort of knits in really beautifully. And that's a nice bit of writing as well, actually. Right, where are we? What have you got? What do you mean? I told you I'd be back to check on you. Where have you got to? Reached an agreement? Not quite. You've been here for three days. What on earth have you been doing then? I've done a drawing of a cat holding a test tube. Not really what I was hoping for. We've been trying to find ways of telling which of us is human and who is Zygon. Well, that won't work, will it? Osgood. Well, we came up with a quiz and a scoring system for it, which would determine whether you are one or the other. Like in Cosmopolitan? The does your boyfriend still love you even when you drink the blood of three albino children every night for health purposes only? Nothing satanic, it helps my complexion honest sort of thing. Love those. I was thinking of one of those new scientist ones. Are you a proper physicist? Kind of quizzes. Same thing. Carry on. But we made a mistake when devising the scoring system. We divided it three ways. You could be human if you scored low, Zygon if you scored high, and if you scored somewhere in the middle, you were a sort of human-y, Zygon-y hybrid. But that won't work. Yes, I know. We all came out as human-y, Zygon-y hybrids. I also did a drawing of a skateboarding dog with a lab coat on. I even gave him safety goggles. The way that the doctor tells Kate, no, you can't do that because when I did it, I cannot face what I've done. You won't be able to face what you've done, which is brings us back to what the story is all about. It's all about the doctor. What I like about the story is, that is it one of the only times, the only time, I don't know, that a series has really looked at the character of the Doctor, whereas usually the Doctor drops in on the planet, sorts its problems out, but this time it's about him and what makes him tick and what makes him so special as a character. And I love the depth that it goes to in terms of, here is a character who finds he has no choice but to push the button. And the series... Uh, usually shies away from horrible decisions by some sort of clever plot device. But this time it was saying, there's no other way until the Doctor can save his own problem by 
having more doctors around to use their wit and inspiring ideas to sort it out. So can we ask the question, um, do you think he pressed the button the first time round? Or do you think that was always the way it, it was? He was just mistaken, he had forgotten. So essentially was time rewritten or yeah. was, I think essentially that it happened. So it happened the way we saw it because it never actually didn't happen that way because he went back and changed his own personal timeline. But that's a very, that's a, I know you love that stuff, but it's a very sort of nerd wanky sort of thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited about it because if you take my theory that there's always a present doctor, when John Hurt is the present doctor, there is no future doctor in order for the moment to show him. So he presses the button. But once the once Matt Smith is the present Doctor, there is a future for the moment to show him, and they're able to come back and talk to him. So just because my own personal, as you say, fan wank theory, it it fits in perfectly with it, which I'm really excited about. The only the only hitch in your get along there, I think, is that the moment. Who, by the way. Rose Tyler or not, is it actually Rose or is it just someone manifesting itself as Rose? Is it Rose as Bad Wolf? Are the two synonymous or are they not? I think that's a big question. But she essentially has the power to seemingly do anything. So I think it would not be difficult for her to snatch doctors from mm. a future that does not yet actually exist and essentially create a new one. A but having said that, she looks very confused when the Fez pops through. Like she's expecting to be able to pull this broken man or this callous man through their little wormhole instead it's just a fez and she goes oh how odd wasn't expecting that and you are right that she can pull future doctors through because if matt smith is the president doctor then how does peter capaldi's doctor appear later on so that is very true but what i liked is i thought the um the moment was moffat riffing on sort of like time lord technology so if the soul of the tardis when they're made human acts that way and sort of looks that way that was sort of it was the same technology the the moment also has a soul and 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 as rose acts sort of the same way as we saw the tardis act i think those two were quite similar similar i rather loved that that she sort of act the same way that she can't quite work out past and future and she has these little non sequiturs and and this real charisma i think that was a lovely nod to the doctor's wife or maybe i'm overreaching there so really what we're saying is all Time Lord technology is kooky, a bit eccentric and crazy, kooky and Zoe Deschanel fangirl type thing. Right then, where to start, dear Clara? Yeah, classic opener. Honestly, sometimes I surprise myself with my eloquence. No, that's not right. Too formal. What? And you are? I am the moment. You remember? The moment? Nope. Remind me? I was the ultimate weapon you were going to use to burn Gallifrey and save the universe. Sounds a bit far-fetched to me. Well, as you didn't use me, I have been re-implemented to perform other tasks. Okay, so why are you bothering me? It looks like you are writing a letter. Would you like some help? New Girl is about three <laughs> young men sharing their room with the heart of the TARDIS. Yep. <laughs> or a TARDIS. I do, think, I do think what it does, though, is it, it indicates that Time Lord technology advanced to such a place where almost all of it became sentient. And the moment is special because it's a weapon. 
Like this was a thing designed to destroy and it developed a conscience and therefore it will never, ever, ever actually live up to its own purpose. It will always find a way. And crucially, it's actually the moment that um, tells the doctor to use the screwdrivers to beat the door. And so it's the moment that plants the seed for the doctor to work out how to save Gallifrey. It isn't, it isn't him on his own. She provides the seed. So the weapon is the one that saves Gallifrey. Which in effect is the most brilliant weapon ever developed. It's a weapon that is designed to be able to remove the need for the weapon. Yeah. Which is incredible. And I I, I think I should record that I'm incredibly... I, I was a little bit... I was one of those people when I heard David Tennant and Billy Piper are coming back for this. I thought, oh, not again. But I was so pleased with the way it panned out because it just... She was brilliant, to be honest. Um, and the part she was given was brilliant. And it was so crucial in a, such a clever way. And it was, frankly, it was quite funny. So her dialogue was pretty, you know, was witty, was very clever. And I, I was just more than ha- delighted by what happened. And how incredible that the war doctor meets her, goes into the TARDIS, regenerates, forgets everything, but then meets her again. And there's, you know, I mean, you can say there was something there, the, the, a spark, you know. He he finds her because he's he just been talking to her. Yeah. Mm, you got to love that. That's a lovely idea, isn't it? That he finds her minutes after he's left her as the moment. And then that's possibly deep down the reason that they click because she's just saved him, but he forgets. And all of that wouldn't have happened if Steve Moffat had got it. Steve? Why am I suddenly calling him Steve? If if Moffat had got his original choice of Eccleston, there'd have been some really lovely stuff there too, but so many layers would have That's been lost. That's still unconfirmed officially. Oh, oh no, I read a Radio Times article that he has said, yes, that was my original thought. But was it ever written that way? See, that's the thing. Is like I don't know what the script would have been if he had actually had the three doctors. Yeah, no, he would have fulfilled that narrative purpose, but we wouldn't have had the War Doctor, and all of those layers would have evaporated. So, in a way, I'm I'm kind of glad. Although I'd have loved to have seen the serious Ninth Doctor facing off against his slightly more childlike successors. I liked it. I, I'm going to go in a slightly more general direction now. Um, the the doctors, the interaction between the doctors, I thought was lovely, um, particularly as it was sort of like a bizarre version of a Christmas Carol, in that you had like ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future, except they were all Scrooge as well, and they were all trying to convince each other that they, that they were doing, they have either done the right thing or are about to do the right thing. Um, and you know, I I loved the interplay between them. I thought John Hurt fitted in really, really well, and that may have something to do with the fact that he was given given lines that basically criticised the other two for being far too, you know, young and quirky and funny. And the the fact that he they threatened the 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 guards with the sonic screwdrivers, and he asked them, "What are you going to do with that? Build a cabinet out of them? This scientific it's equipment? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I love how officious he is about it. And and by the end of it, he's sort of, okay, I will be very proud if I turn out to be these two. That's what I really liked about it. Is it all of the interactions between them that I've seen actually in the past in multi multi doctor stories? It's all been quite sort of contemptuous and scathing and oh you whippersnappers don't understand this and you're was... the youngest stop calling them whippersnappers that's what i always thought <laughs> exactly it was very very odd um and just not very doctory or at least not the sort of doctors that i've grown used to as a fan of the new series 
Um, what I really liked as well as the interaction between the three doctors was just the framing of the script, how everything was presented like a sort of a triptych, how you have mm. the warrior, the hero and the doctor and then the different solutions, you know, the man who regrets, the man who forgets and what is he going to be and mm. the idea of very sort of neat narrative loops where you tie everything off in triangles, I liked it. There was an element of the insulting thing, though, with the, but in the same way that Moffat always does it, it's in nicknames, you know, Chinny, mm -hmm. uh, Sandshoes, Grandad, Dick Van Dyke. And he also used it as an opportunity to uh, make fun of some of the criticisms that have been levelled at the series by classic series fans. So you had the War Doctor saying, oh, is there kissing all the time now? Yeah. Uh, he hates timey-wimey. He hates the overuse of the sonic screwdriver. So all of these things that people have said, oh, the series is now this, <laughs> the War Doctor takes issue with. My, and my favourite one is at the end where, where the Tenth Doctor goes into the tower. <laughs> yeah. so I don't want to go. Like, oh, he always says he that. Always says that. <laughs> Awesome. I, I think that's actually really telling because part of me wants to read it as Stephen Moffat essentially finally erasing everything that happened before he took over the show mm -hmm. and finally saying, this is what I would have done with Doctor Who. This is, he can now do, time war is gone, all this guilt is gone, all this sort of I have to be young and carefree and handsome and a bit weird is about to go away because Matt Smith's about to leave for a much, much older man. Like all these, all these sorts of things that he kind of inherited, he's he's wiped clean. Like everything that RTD did to kind of update the show, Moffat has now officially almost completely done away I with. I think there are some moments uh, where the War Doctor is, I think, is sort of symbolic of those fans. Like particularly the one, the one bit that bring that, that made me think that was when they're about to go put their plan into action. They're all in their tardises and they shout, "Geronimo, Alonzi!" <laughs> oh, for God's sake! That was so that funny. Was great. But I would actually disagree with you. I think he loves that stuff too, as the War Doctor comes to love and and see that there's a place for that. I read it more as he's finding an equilibrium between those two and allowing the Doctor to be any of those things again. I think I think that's possible. I think it's also true, as some people have said online, that if the Doctor is going to be a hero for children, he should not be a genocidal maniac. True. And so erasing the bit where we thought he was a genocidal maniac for a little bit is probably a good thing for his character on the whole. Because no one ever mentioned the children of Gallifrey before. It was it was just, oh, the Time Lords were evil and the Doctor put them down. So it was Moffat that raised that spectre and then lays it to rest. Here's another thing I really like about the genius of the Moff in this story is the use of the cup of soup paintings. Uh, I, what a clever idea that is, even to the point of getting into the Black Archive via the painting. That is such a clever idea. Rather yeah. than sort of forcing the TARDIS through in some sort of crazy way, he just finds another way in. It's a yeah. beautiful idea. You do wonder what portrait sessions might be like on Gallifrey, though. Come in, come in, do sit down. Thank you. I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance, Gallon. Your reputation precedes you, of course. My lady is too kind. I'm but a humble artist. Oh, nonsense. You are the finest artist in all of Arcadia. I'm so glad you've agreed to paint me. It's really no problem, my lady. It won't take a moment. All I have to do is freeze you for all time in a stasis cube and then bung you in a frame. I beg your pardon? Yeah, you've got to have a frame. If you don't have a frame, it's not really art. It's more just a sort of high-tech eternal purgatory. I see. Well, will it hurt? Nope. There's just a big flash of light. You won't feel a thing. 
ever again. Ready? I think I've changed my... There we go. That might be my best painting yet. Right, what's next? Oh yeah, the self-portrait I've always wanted to do. Maybe I'll do one of me jumping off a chair. Okay, one, two, three... It's funny, there are so many, you know, bells and whistles and things. The things we haven't talked about yet are the actual series regulars, Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman, who I think did fantastic work. Matt Smith, who is the emotional center of the story in many ways, and Jenna Coleman, who wasn't given a lot to do, but does it very well. But she has that one moment where she's sort of a proxy for all of the companions ever. She is every companion. Yeah. Yeah, she is every companion and says, I never imagined you doing it, which I thought was lovely. It's like, not her doctor. Yeah. The doctor might have done it, but not this doctor. That could have been Sarah Jane if uh, her real life had played ball with such a concept. Couldn't uh, it have been? I want to praise John Hurt because I feel that the war doctor is not written as a character very much more than a man who regrets uh, all of his all of his terrible deeds in war. I, I didn't feel the writing covers a great deal more depth than that. But what John Hurt brings to the character is a great deal of depth, a great deal of emotional subtlety. Um, so goodness me, but hats off to him. I can't tell where the writing ends and John Hurt begins. I actually thought the character was uh, amazing. I really love this idea that he doesn't feel he can call himself the Doctor. And there's that kind of weird childish thing that they have like, Am I Doctor, you know, (laughs) have I I redeemed myself? Can I be the Doctor again? And of course, the eternal tragedy of that is, even though he is every inch the Doctor, for those two regenerations, the Doctor believes that, you know, he acted badly and, 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 and basically forgets about him. But he wasn't. Well, everybody's got a little bit of that imposter syndrome, haven't they? That they, they're not what other people think they are, and they're not quite as good as they feel that they're supposed to be. Something that I really liked about it was the design. I thought the design of the costumes in particular, the Gallifreyan costumes, was awesome because it had been so highfalutin in the past. They just didn't look like practical things that people would wear. And all of the ancillary material around the episode, things like the first sky trenches falling um, and how interesting that whole concept was, all these worlds being built that segued in so nicely... Everything from the comedic with the five-ish Doctors, which was just incredibly funny, to the Night of the Doctor, which was an absolute masterpiece. That almost deserves an, e- an episode of an the episode U-cast of on itself. its own. Yeah. But just, I think the whole tone and structure of all, of all of the anniversary celebrations was brilliantly done, really well played. Mm. I particularly like the battle sequences, um, uh, because I... For once, I think the Daleks were used in a way that was, the word means very little in this this context, but realistic. They weren't swarming all over space like some kind of metal space wasp. Beast. You don't like that. No, they were, they were in craft. They were on the ground and they were devastating, which they don't need to float everywhere to be devastating. They are. And I thought that was particularly well handled. The battle scenes were at the same time, you know, they looked amazingly sharp where I was looking. I was only watching it in HD, so sorry. But they looked pretty good from where I was. And actually, it was mixed in with a lot of the tragedy of war as well as just the the, the light-up, shooty laser things, which I thought was... though That's an important balance to strike, particularly 
in something like this where, you know, it's easy to make little kids go, yeah, lasers. But actually to show people being hurt and families torn apart is... And it is interesting that they decided to show the war that way because when RTD talked about it, both on the show Mm. and in the other material he's written for annuals and books and things, he talks about it much more in an abstract way. Everyone going into the vortex, the nightmare Mm. child, parallel dimensions and things that never were. Uh, And it feels like they threw all all of that at each other and now it's just these two entrenched races and it's just come down to... Who's got the biggest stick? Yes, indeed. That is right. (laughs) You did say stick, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, you've got characters saying the whole universe is burning. This is the only thing we can do to stop it all. I think that the battle we're watching is the final battle of the time war, which is a, a conventional war. That, that battle is a conventional war, whereas all the other stuff out there in the vortex is more, as Chris Sigma says, abstract and weird. Because I remember Russell T. Davis saying that only people of high, races of higher intelligence could sense that time war was even happening. But I think anyone could sense that that war was happening. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about it, and this is something I read on the internet and so props to whoever thought of it, is that all three of these doctors who do this wonderful but awful thing all go almost immediately to their deaths. The the war doctor immediately regenerates. The tenth doctor is clearly in the period where he's traveling alone at the very end of his life, right before the end of time. And the eleventh doctor we know is going to regenerate at Christmas. And so it's like they did this wonderful thing. That was the right thing, but it looks like they won't be necessarily unpunished for it. Mm. That is an amazing yeah. thought. Wow. Yeah, because right at the beginning of end of time, he talks about uh, Elizabeth I, doesn't he? So it, it could be very soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. So don't worry, Laura, he gets his hair back. Oh, thank goodness. We've done a nice little circle. Yeah. Good morning, Sergeant. Is this your first day working at the Black Archive? It is indeed, sir. Well, my name's Captain something, and it's actually my first day too. Oh, really, sir? Absolutely. Quite a coincidence. Let me show you around. This is a door. Excellent, sir. Where does it go? I have no idea. Let's have a look, shall we? Right you are, sir. Oh, look, it's a lady. Corporal Thingy, reporting for my first day of duty, sir. Oh, is it your first day too? What a coincidence. Look, look, I'm Sergeant, um, mm, and this is Captain something. Pleased to meet you both. Where are we? I have no idea. Isn't this your office? Why'd you say that? Well, there's a portrait of you above the fireplace. Goodness, I've got that done fast. Wait a minute, why do I have a photograph of you on my desk, Corporal? I have no idea, sir. You appear to be wearing a wedding dress. That's odd, I'm not married. That is odd. Perhaps a cup of tea might sort it out. Good idea, Sergeant. I haven't had breakfast yet today, although I do feel strangely full as if I'd eaten about a hundred sausages. You there. Do you work here, Private? Yes, sir. Can you tell us where the canteen is? I think it's down that corridor past the memory wiping machine, sir, but I couldn't say for sure. It's my first day, you see. There's a lot of that going round. Oh, look! There's a note here. Gone to get breakfast with the chaps. Back soon. Perhaps we should follow them? Uh, They sound like they know what's going on. Good idea, Sergeant. This way, we just need to head past these mem... Good morning, Sergeant. Is this your first day working at the Black Archive? It is indeed, sir. Well, my name's Captain... something, and it's actually my first day too. Really, sir? Absolutely. The haiku for Day of the Doctor. 
Sucky past returns while he saves face and his home, forgets his moment. That is the Udcast review of the Day of the Doctor. Thank you so much for Eric uh, coming to uh, give us a little bit of focus and a little bit of eloquence where we lacked it. I flew over just for this. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you much for all my fellow Uds to be back together. It feels lovely. Yes. Yes, it does. We will not be away from your headphones for as long because there is a little episode called The Time of the Doctor coming up in... Six days. Six days from time of recording. Goodness gracious. We're going to have to work hard to get this out in time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't think it will get out before Christmas. Happy New Year, everyone. Yay. (laughs) Happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Wasn't Time with the Doctor brilliant? Wasn't Peter Capaldi's first season great? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't Patterson Joseph amazing as the 14th (laughs) Doctor? (laughs) And Grace Jones is the 15th. (laughs) I'm so glad they got Tom Baker back. (laughs) Sod off. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Cheery pip. Toodle pip. See ya. (laughs) Typical American. grows grey here on Gallifrey, safe behind our temporal locks. I'm a weapon of mass destruction, but I look like some old box. My power is howling like a time vortex inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. Don't let him use power that's yours Pretend you are a chest of drawers Conceal your might and try to fool As a footstool Moments gone, moments gone Can't hide myself anymore Moments gone, moments gone I could end the whole time war I don't care what the time lots here It's a simple fact I look like some storage from Ikea It's funny how the doctor regrets the path he chose So I tried my best to help him And now I look like Rose It's time to see what he decides Will he pick life or genocide? No right, no wrong, no easy road Explode! Moments gone, moments gone in a paradox Moments gone Moments gone Did I mention I'm a fox? Here I sit On the dusty floor Let the choice be made My power 
power flourish through the air into the ground. Blue boxes spiraling in dizzy circles all around. A planet atomizes in a deadly blast. But is it really gone or trapped deep in the of metaphor. Ah, evening, Kate. Good day at work? Yes, thanks, darling. Dad's a big shoes to fill, but I think I'm doing okay. Cup of tea? Oh, yes, please. This is Tiger Downtime to Charlie Squadron. I need a lapsang souchong and a lady grey with the twist of lemon airlifted to my current GPS location. Copy? Roger that, Tiger Downtime. This is Charlie One. I'm two clicks northwest of your current location. Prepare to receive package, ma'am. That's a copy, Charlie One. Here's your tea, ma'am. Thank you, soldier. You don't think this whole unit thing might be going a bit to your head, do you, Kate? I don't think so, darling. Hobnob? No, thanks. 